Uh, well, again, it's good to see you. Uh, this is session two of uh, probably what will end up being 13, 15, maybe even longer, uh, many weeks as we think about this issue of uh, cultural Christianity. You guys are looking like at my backside here, so I'm going to move back just a little bit. Nobody needs to look at that, believe me. The surgeon said that. Um, some of you got that. <laughs> Thank you. I was recently reading a book, though, that actually dovetails with what we're talking about here, and the book is called The Great Dechurching. It just came out. It's actually a pretty fascinating read. Has anybody heard of that book or read that book? Darcy, you have heard of it? Yeah. So it's actually a very fascinating look at why people are leaving the church or why many folks have left the church and, and who they are. So there, there's a lot of research, meticulous research, tons of surveys. Uh, but here's what I found interesting, that as the authors say, the, the largest group of the de-churched, so again, those who are at one point attending church, they were faithful, but they no longer do now, the largest group was not the progressive left, and it wasn't whatever you want to say on the other call, the, the radical right. It's cultural Christians. So 52% of the de-churched, according to the authors in their studies, are cultural Christians who have, were one point attending church, but they have since left church. And if you're wondering, some, some of the other categories that these authors use of the de-church, uh, mainline Protestants, mainline evangelicals, and then ex-evangelicals. But again, 52%, the largest of the group that have left the church, they don't seem to be coming back, are, as they talk about, they're, they're cultural Christians. So this hits us where we're at, doesn't it? Uh, and, and here's, the, let me give you a quote here. I've, I've got it on uh, your handout here. What was interesting is that, the, as the authors noted, those who, the, the cultural Christians among us who were at one point faithful, they were really faithful through college, through university, but there was definitely a shift pretty much in the early 20s through late 20s where that's where they seem to gravitate away uh, from the church during their early professional years. Here's the quote now that you've got on your sheets. During this significant life station, the stress points they find particularly difficult include many social factors, such as struggling to fit in at church, having some bad experiences at church, a lack of people their age they connect with, life getting busy, having their main friends at work and wanting to enjoy surplus income to travel and buy things. Here's what that means, really. Many, not all, but many of these cultural Christians uh, de-churched casually, very casually. In other words, the reason they stopped going to church was not because a debate broke out about the Trinity. It's not because the the, the, the efficacy of the atonement was at stake and they're having these all conferences. It, that's not it at all. It really, to put it simply, the inertia of career, of family, and other interests just slowly over time sidelined the church, really sidelined Christianity, and, and church no longer became a priority then. And so what it's been replaced with, well, let me ask you. When, when church, as, as we know it here in, in the positive, when that's no longer a priority, what, what do you think it gets replaced with? Activities. Okay, activities, yep. Friends. Sleep, okay, just, which would be more like a personal activity then. Yeah, okay. Friends. Friends, and, and 
explain the talk a little bit more there. Well, they say lack of connection. There are friends you connect with, either people you work with, you have more relationship than on Sunday morning. Okay, yeah. Idols of any sort, really. Okay, yeah, we are. When it gets to that point, we're talking about idols. Yeah, Brian. Okay, yep. Sports. Yeah. Yeah, and that becomes your community then. And so that's exactly what they're finding. And that's no surprise to any of us, right? When, when church maybe doesn't become a priority, then the relationships are shifting more online and especially to those relationships at work. And then, as we're talking about here, other leisure pursuits. I was thinking Kathy. being more self-focused than other things. Yeah. Being with all the stuff that we're Yeah. Ultimately, that's 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 what it, that's what we're dealing with here at at root. So, you know, I'm I'm part of a hiking club, or I'm part of a sewing club, or uh, my CrossFit gym, or whatever it may be. And all those things have a time and place. They're not sinful in and of themselves, but more and more cultural Christians would look to those really as a replacement for the kinds of intentional relationships that are to form here in a local church. So, in other words, to put it bluntly, when when coming to church, like we're all doing now. When that no longer has any perceived benefit or uh, a social standing or it doesn't really impact credibility, many of these cultural Christians just stop going altogether. So that's the world we live in. And that's true. I mean, just think about it. Like, that's true in our hearts, too. Like, you know, every Sunday morning. Sometimes I wake up on Sunday mornings. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> But, but yet I know, like, this is the Lord. I mean, I need to be here. In fact, even like, uh, you know, and I was heavily medicated last week, but even, <laughs> even when I miss, it's just, it, the week is not right. Something's off. There's something just not right. And so, I mean, that's God-given. He's a desire within each of us to be among God's people worshiping him. And it's really a beautiful thing. Now, here's just a little bit of good news. Uh, because, again, when we think about cultural Christianity, it's one thing to kind of have that as, you know, it's sort of in the cloud. We draw a circle, cultural Christianity. But we can just kind of keep it there. But, but you know these people, and I know these. These are friends. These might be family members. These are neighbors. Uh, these are people that maybe you were at a church with for many, many years and were in the trenches with, and suddenly they're no longer coming to church. So we want to be gracious here, and we want to have that in mind. We're not just taking shots at some un, some group of people here. No, we're the, this really matters to us. And here's the good news, and the authors speak to this a little bit. It's probably not going to take much for folks in this category of cultural Christians to come back to church. You know what it's going to take? What do you think it's going to take? Chuck? Uh, well, the age group that you spoke of, I know when you Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. But I think also, though, that's the beauty of being in a situation like this. Like, just just take a little quick scan across here. 
we got all ages represented here, which is a wonderful thing, right? So it takes, takes older people reaching out to younger people too. It takes younger people reaching out to older people, slightly more mature as well. Uh, what else do you think it might take for these cultural Christians to maybe come back to church? Uh, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, some kind of like event, something that makes them recognize that they're not in control. So, yeah. So, like, like life, but, but an understanding that, okay, this is hard. Maybe I can't do it on my own. Maybe I'm not meant to do it on my own. Maybe I need to get back. Yeah. I think I'll talk about that in just a minute. Yes, Lori. Well, I think that you have to see that the relationships at church are different. Good. That, they, that this type of community can carry your burdens with you. That community out there is not going to Right. That, that's huge, right? So in other words, like they have to see a difference among us. So I was part of a CrossFit gym in my younger days. I really loved that, not just for the working up part, because there is a sense of community. Like you do these crazy workouts and you sweat and then you think, that kind, this is great. Like we get to do this together. Like we can relate. We're all hating life at this point. <laughs> and, and so there's a bonding thing that happens with that. But that you can only take that so far, right? And so is there something different about us? And here's what's great about that, Laurie, and this is a whole other sermon. Don't get me started on this. But I mean, so like, I think there's great encouragement there because when we think about, boy, how do we reach out to, to maybe my friend who I think is in this category of a cultural Christian, we don't need a new program. Right. We don't need something like, where do we read in our Bibles? I don't see the word cultural Christian. Jesus doesn't address this. What are we going to do? Oh, no. What he's calling us to do is to be faithful. We as the church, as disciples to be faithful in reaching out and making other disciples and in showing them that, you know what, there is actually something different here about this community of people. There is something unique here. Not perfect, because we're all working it out too. But, but you coming here, there, there's something unique that the Lord wants to do in your life. And that's what makes it genuine. That's what actually brings, it in a good way, a stickiness to that. So that, that's huge. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. That's and one of the ways, not the only way. One of the ways we do that here, ideally, through our home groups, smaller groups, where you can have those conversations, where you can get to know people, where it's exactly that. It's like the the veneer comes off. It's like I've had a terrible week. And so would you just pray for me? I mean, it's real life. I mean, and you've heard me talk about this too, that, you know, a church like ours that takes sin seriously, and we do, you're going to hear more about that, big church. We also then take grace seriously, which means then that there is ample grace for whatever our struggles, whatever the season of life we're in. Uh, I saw a hand, yeah. So you said something, and I want to make sure I understand correctly. Uh, we're offering to people who grew up church a form of discipleship to bring them back. Christ said, go to the world and make disciples. Which he, I, I, I want to make sure he, he was telling us to make disciples of him. Mm -hmm. Are we making 
Are we reaching out to make disciples of him or the disciple of a process? No, we're, we we want to make disciples of Christ. Amen. Period. Yeah. In making a disciple of Christ, they're going to come back. That's the point. Amen. Right. Uh, okay, we got to move on here. Uh, that's good. All right, so why, why is this all important here? Why are we talking about this again? Last week, Pastor Dave led you through this first session here, that as we think about our friends, name, these are the people who have names, cultural Christianity. This is a really big mission field. Frankly, I think this is a really big mission field right here in the Valley. Uh, I was just talking to another guy this week that in the, I won't share all the details, but in the process of that conversation, it's like, man, I think that's, I think that's where you're at here. And so this is front and center for us. Um, here's, uh, this is on your sheet here, a closer look. Let me just give you a couple things just by way of, of kind of looking underneath the hood here of what's going on, uh, with the cultural Christian here. Okay. They would likely pass a, uh, basic Christianity 101 test. They'd be able to check the box. They probably identify themselves as a Christian if, if pushed yet, the cultural Christian is the person who, and Kelly, I think this was your point, they admire Jesus, but they don't really think he's needed except in a moment of crisis or maybe in a moment of hardship. And that may be the Lord's plan to bring them first to him, yes, uh, but that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Uh, the cultural Christian might speak of the importance of faith. This is really where this guy was that I was talking to. Talked a lot about faith, but but I kind of left that conversation that, well, What's the object of your faith? Is it faith in faith? Is it faith in yourself? Is it faith generally in humanity? Or is it actually faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ? I mean, those are, as you know, those are really two different things. Uh, the cultural Christian may speak a form of Christianese. How many are familiar with that language? What is Christianese? Christianese. <laughs> Okay, right. I mean, if you really did lay it on your heart, that's a good thing. Okay, that's good. Yeah, what other sort of... God is love. Okay, that can be, actually, yeah. Yeah, and the implication there, well, God is love, he's going to love me as I am, I don't need to change. Okay, yeah. How about the big man upstairs, right? Or, yeah, there's a higher power. Again, this kind of speaks to... We, we can... We're actually pretty good at taking verses out of context, paraphrasing them, and so that we end up where well, we're not quite sure what we're talking about, but it sounds pious. It, it, there's a lot of, at least there, there's in, infused with some Jesus language. So again, the, the cultural Christian, and we want to check our own hearts here too. We may speak a form of Christianese without any notion that this transcendent God actually makes a claim on us, that he lays claim on us. So where do we end up then? Well, we end up with a sense where for the cultural Christian, there's, there's kind of a blurring of the line between, you know, I'm familiar with Christ. Uh, I'm familiar with the church. That equals saving belief. That's the same as having genuine saving belief. So being sorry for sin, that's the same as genuine repentance. Or being loved by God, Barry means well, God will just accept me, accept me as I am, and I don't really need to change. I mean, he's good with that. I'm good with that. We're good. And that's that's the tension, and that's oftentimes the problem. Several years ago, I was I was uh, playing on a rec hockey team, and we were terrible, but that's besides the point. Um, 
and, and I'm not going to blame the goalie, but I'm going to blame the goalie. We had a terrible, <laughs> terrible. I mean, and look, we were all learning, and I get in all that stuff. But anyway, so I'm sitting next to our goalie. This is after like seven losses in a row, and we're getting dressed in the locker room, putting on our gear, and I notice on his mask has a, a paraphrase of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. And I was like, that is interesting, because you can't even stop a beach ball. <laughs> so... First of all, you need a new verse. That's the first thing. But but I, I mean, I started to talk with them, and I was like, "Hey, I noticed you got a you got a Bible verse on your mask. Like, tell me about that." And she's like, "Oh yeah, I really I really like it." And I said, "Well, like, do you, is that like a favorite verse?" He's like, "Yeah, I think so." He's like, "Well, are you are you a Christian?" And he paused and he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> okay and i said well like do you so we're just having a conversation and we're pulling up our socks and tying up our skates and he's like well so do you like do you have a church that you go to and he's like now i mean i go i go at christmas uh do you, do you have any sort of you know intentional relationships with other people no i think my mom has a friend and she sometimes comes over you know and so there again like it kind of proves the point here of why we need to think carefully about this mission field of cultural Christianity. Here's the quote here, and this is where, I think this is super helpful just as a point of clarity. Dean and Sarah, who wrote The Unsaved Christian, it's kind of the book that we're springing from here for our, our series here, uh, in an interview he said this, cultural Christianity is not an issue of discipleship, but primarily it's an issue of evangelism. And so what, what does he mean by that? So, so what he means is that we're not dealing with just when I say just, simply immature Christians who really need to grow. That's all of us. We all need to grow. We all have blind spots. We're all working it out here with fear and trembling. He, he's not saying that. But what we're dealing with here with the cultural Christian, at least many of them, it's actually an issue of evangelism. In other words, they're believing a false gospel. They're believing a, a truncated gospel, a pseudo-gospel. In other words, the real need for our cultural Christian friends is a genuine relationship with their Redeemer, with Jesus Christ, the Jesus that our, the Bible's revealed to us. So their need is for sa genuine saving faith, to repent and believe the gospel. In other words, to, to move from placing security in either themselves, their heritage, their family, America, their values, uh, maybe the fact that they were baptized at one point, certain religious rites, uh, to, moving from that to specifically and intentionally the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So moving them from, from really being a Christian by culture to Christian by personal conviction. This is who Jesus is. I'm aligning myself with him. That, that's not a movement that happens overnight, probably. I mean, that's going to require the Lord's grace. So that's why one of the best things that you and I can do, if you're thinking already, and I would encourage you through this series, not just to check your own heart here, like where am I, where am I struggling here? But again, we have family, family and friends and neighbors maybe that we think, I think, that's where, I think that's where he's at. I think that's kind of where she's at. So be praying then that the Lord would open up their hearts and their minds, give a softness and a sensitivity that they would actually see maybe for the first time ever, or really for the first time in a long time, what they may have been blinded to. Now, there are, there are lots of barriers, and we're going to look at some of these barriers as we move forward here in the next couple weeks of, uh, um, for, for cultural Christians. 
one of the ones that we want to look at today, though, and spend a little bit of time today, uh, is I think a really, really huge barrier, and that is the barrier of self-righteousness. Basically, good works. In other words, a, a deep-seated belief, and it is deep-seated. It is, it is very deep that my works, my good works can justify me before a holy God. And if that's the idea, if that's the thought, then you really don't need Jesus to save you, right? You, you just need him to help you. You just kind of need him to be there when you really need him and when you want him. You need his divine assistance more than you need his divine saving grace. So with that, let's turn to Matthew 21. Sorry, yes, not Matthew 21. Matthew 7. Verse 21. Matthew 7, and maybe I'll have someone sovereignly chosen by God. <laughs> one of you. Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 21 through 23. Would one of you read that nice and loud and slow? Sure. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, thank you. So, Sermon on the Mount here. This is the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the smartest man to ever live, so we should pay attention when we read Jesus' words here. Okay, and remember, now Jesus here was the context there, right? Well, let me ask you, who is he speaking to here? Because he says some pretty, pretty stinging things right here in just those couple verses. Now, the whole Sermon on the Mount, he's very upfront. Who, who's, who's he talking to here? Okay, he's talking to disciples. Good. Who else? He's talking to Pharisees. Yep. He's talking to Jews, right? Devout Jews. Okay, good. So he's talking, there's a, there's a large group of people, but by and large, like Jesus, he's not talking specifically to atheists. He's not talking to, you know, the progressives. He's not talking to secular humanists. He is talking to, by and large, very moral people, religious people, many people who are pro-Jesus, people who are doing really good deeds in the name of God, right? So he's addressing people in front of them that, well, they're, they're, they know what religion is, but yet they're not making the connection be, between religion, what they're doing, and the Redeemer who is standing or sitting in front of them, right? So, and that is, that is kind of the key issue as we think about cultural Christianity. So from this passage here, uh, again, Jesus says some pretty hard things, does he not? I mean, what do you, he says here, not every religious person, not everybody that goes to church, is going to go to heaven. Not every religious person is going to be known by God and adopted as his child. And so, like, what, what, just how does that hit you? The fact that Jesus says that. What's your gut reaction? Take it seriously. Okay, good, yeah. What? We ought to take it seriously. We ought to take the words of Jesus seriously. Like, what are we doing here? Why do, why do, we, come, why do we come to church? Why do we do religious deeds? What's the point? 
There's a whole lot of other questions there, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Good. What What else? What's your gut reaction when you hear this? It's not necessarily what you say or claim, proclaim with your mouth. Okay. It's going to solve your problem. Yeah. Good, Drew. Just when it comes to faith and the outworking of that faith. Good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Don't throw me out. He's wrong. <laughs> Jesus is wrong when he says. Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Like you got right. Yeah. And and tell me more. Well, I'm I'm doing things right. I'm following along. He's wrong. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't don't you see what I'm doing here? Yeah. Right. And I'm doing way better than this guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Any other? Yeah. Glory. I think this passage is just like. Especially taking back to the pastor, it's always made me have to examine my own faith and, you know, years ago, going to the Lord, like, do you know me? You know? Hello? Yeah. Um, and examine your own heart and your relationship with the Lord. Yeah, good. It, it ought to have that. Right. Yeah, good. Any other sort of gut responses? Yeah. Well, then how can I be saved? Okay. Yeah. And how can we be saved? Yeah. Let's close that loop. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. Well, there's good news. But I think it does. It sort of did anybody read this and got reaction was just like that that makes me sad. That was one of the there's a lot of different reactions, but I mean as I kind of meditate on this week, I was like because I can name people. Like people I really care about. That I think that's 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 where they're at. And they think they know, but they don't. And it, it does. I think there's a sense where, Lord, have mercy. As you've had mercy on us, have mercy on them. Remove blinders uh, from their eyes. Okay. Uh, how about this question? So this is maybe to Janet, to, to your question. All right, well, somebody asked you then, well, why are you a Christian? Or how can you know that you are a Christian? How can you know that? You're not in that category here of Jesus saying, I never knew you. You spent a lot of time in church. You did a lot of good things, but I never knew you. What do you say to that? Somebody this week asked you, how do you know that you're a Christian? Okay, have faith. Well, let's just push through a little bit more there, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good. Thanks, Tess, for the help there. Yeah. That's any good way. Good, yeah. All right, so, I mean, there's a start. That's not an ending point. Faith in Christ's work. Okay, faith in Christ's work, not my own. Okay, so that means, like, well, how many amount of good deeds? I mean, I know not all of my good, but, like, how much? Doesn't that matter? No. And there are, like, a quota? Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good, Ryan. So you're talking, there's, there's multiple different fears in the Bible. This is a fear of a son to a father, familiar, familial fear uh, of, man, I, the, the respect and the reverence of what that looks like. Yeah, that's, that's I think that's a big part of it. We had other, yeah, sorry, Penny. Do I talk to him? Sorry. Do I talk to him? Do I talk to the Lord? Yeah. Yeah, so, or, you know, you just, it, 
kind of the cultural really busy, lots going on, lots of activities. Yeah, I, I will talk to him at some point. I'll, I'll eventually get around to that. It's not really a priority right now because maybe life is going really well. Like that's the other thing, kind of a sidebar here. For many, I think and I'm thinking of a really good friend of mine who would be in this category. Like sometimes I hang up the phone with this guy and it's like, man, it doesn't seem like you need Jesus. Because it seems like at least what he's saying to me, life's going really well. Got the promotion, nice family, vacations, all the stuff that you and I as North Americans look to as being, that guy's got it going on. You know, you would think. Now, what we don't see, obviously, is like, what happens at 3 p.m. on a Saturday when that guy's driving around? And what, what's he thinking about? And what happens at 2 in the morning? Like, what, what are those prayers that he's praying that he doesn't even really know? Like, obviously, there's a, we don't see everything clearly. Anyway, uh, others, like, so again, just that question, like, how do you know? How do you know that you're not one of these people that Jesus is talking about and that you belong to him? Yeah. His spirit living in us testifies to the fact Good. that we're his. But I think it's like what Ryan said, you have a fear of the Lord because his spirit is in you. You see your sin because his spirit convicts you of it. Good. Yeah. And that, so there's a whole book, First John, which actually covers that, right? Which, which I think is the assurance of how we do know. Yes, Danny. Yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. 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 Like, if you don't have any sense that, man, I really, I kind of miss these people, or I need to be here, that's probably an indication that something's amiss, right? And that's not, that's not Christians being judgmental. We're just trying to call it as we see it. Yeah, being honest, uh, Matt, and then Trevor. Yeah, continuation of repentance and faith. You know, you Good. Lie, like, God promises that he will keep you in the end. Yeah. Good. And that and it really is that, isn't it, Matt? Like it's 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 not just one time repenting. Come to Christ, repent, you're good. Like the question often is, well, how often do you sin? That's how often you need to be repenting. <laughs> okay, so let's not complicate things here, people. Right? That's good. So yeah, there's like there's a continual that. You know, the, so these are some of the signs, maybe some of the the outward markers, but that do point to genuine saving faith, Trevor. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You're, you're engaging in that relationship. It's kind of like being married and never talking to your spouse. That's, that would not go well. Yes, Jamie. Good. Yeah, that's really key. Because, so say that one more time. Now, and do you do that, Jamie, perfectly? No. <laughs> Drew, does Jamie do that? Per I mean, we know she does it better than you. But, okay, so we're not talking perfection because we're, we're working it out here. We are sinners. We're constantly in need of repenting. But that desire, huge, yes. I was going to say that the desire part because someone who, when I was first saved, really lived on the hands for real of the gospel of works unintentionally for so many years. Yeah. Uh, they would always tell 
-hmm. It was like the desire to learn, the desire to grow. Good. That's right. It is a sign of God's grace. Yeah, Jen. Yeah, I think that that's a really big um, point what you're saying because uh, we have some dear Christian friends, but they their doctrine is not great, and they're perpetuating a false doctrine. In that, as long as you confess with your mouth, you know, you said this in our prayer, you are a Christian, and so their grandchildren, mm. some of their friends, you know, I, I'm, uh, their relatives. So many of them are cultural Christians, but they think that they're not because they've said this in a prayer. And right. So, um, as long as they get someone, because they can't figure out why my grandchildren aren't Christians yet, and because they haven't said this in a prayer, their their kids already did it at four and five years old, and they're saved. And but you know, there's no change in their their lives, mm -hmm. and if there's no change, then there's no spirit. Right. Just to be clear, so, you know, good, there is a role for good works in the Christian life. Yes or no? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. And what is that role? What's the role of good works? Yes. Well, it should be a response to what Christ has done for us, not that we're trying to earn something. Okay. It's good. a response. Yeah. Grateful. Yeah. Your heart has been changed by God's grace, undeserved. You are now different, which means then you, you actually start to care about the people around you. It's not just looking out for number one. It means that you, you're drawn to other Christians because you know you need them in fellowship and in intentional community. It means you can't be a lone ranger anymore, right? I mean, it's, that, that part is the countercultural part. So good works have a place. They adorn the gospel, right? They, they, they dress up the gospel in a way. You know, people see the outward, the good works, and they say, like, man, like, thanks for serving me. Why, why would you do that? Like, why, why would you care about that? You don't even hardly know me. Or thanks for praying. You know, all those things. Those things don't save. What, what saves us? Who, who saves us? Yeah, that's right. Right? And so, that, again, that's what we're just, we're drilling down into that. That, again, we need to be reminded of that. I don't know that anybody, none of us in here would probably call ourselves cultural Christians. That's, that's good. But, but there still is that sense. Like, let's just be honest here. Do we not all wake up most days thinking, yesterday was miserable, fell off the wagon, Lord, now I got to prove myself. Now I got to perform. Now it's up to me. Like your grace was good for Friday, but Saturday, and now in my church on Sunday, I really got to perform on this day. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's exhausting. But we all, I face that. I struggle with that sometimes. Um, so again, we're, so, so when, we talk about, when we talk about applying the gospel, when we talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves, what is that beautiful gospel that, that we're seeking to help each other apply and apply to our lives? That's the good news. Well, what is that good news exactly? For, for performance-driven people as we are, Done already. You know, yeah, I mean that's good news, right? 
It's the best news. I mean, you spend a life striving after something you're never going to attain. Well, that image could repeat. Yeah. Right. Good. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. Fair. There's nothing I can do to make Jesus love me less, or anything I can do to make him love me more. What about coming to church? <laughs> Faithfully. For years. Didn't didn't we? Didn't we do all these things, Lord? Right? And 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 in Sarah's book, he actually has a, a a list. Let me just read some of these things. I mean, just think about this in your own life. You know, it's, didn't we say grace before meals? Didn't we fight to keep prayer in school? Didn't we go to church faithfully? I'm riffing on this now. Didn't we serve on the greeting team? Didn't I help out the pastor when no one else would help him out? Didn't I read our Didn't I read my Bible faithfully? Didn't I treat all people with respect? Didn't I stay married? Stay faithful? Didn't I keep myself from shipwrecking my life with the really, really big sins? Didn't we do all these things, Lord? Like, didn't that matter? I mean, that, that's kind of how we live, right? So doesn't our good deeds, and our, that self-righteousness, Lord, doesn't that mean anything to you? Again, self-righteousness, that belief that you can be good enough if you just try harder. So on the really miserable days, you got buck up. You got to do better. I mean, that's, that's the heart, really, of, of the self-righteous Christian, of the self-righteous cultural Christian. Now, that didn't we, didn't we do all these things, Lord? That is vastly different, isn't it, than the didn't he? Didn't Jesus accomplish exactly what we couldn't? Didn't Jesus do what was impossible for us? Didn't, didn't Jesus die on the cross, absorb the wrath of a holy God that we deserve because we could never measure up? Didn't he defeat sin and death and Satan and his glorious resurrection from the dead? Didn't he promise to leave the Holy Spirit, not just around us, sort of like, ooh, hovering, in us, in us, so that we can actually grow, that then we can live lives pleasing to Christ and our good works. I mean, Jesus says, like, a lot of people, let, let them see, let your light shine, so that they would see your good works and do what? Esteem you, say, man, you're, you're really, you're earning a lot of points. So they would glorify God who was in heaven. That's what we're after. Okay, uh, let's see, we're, how are we doing on time here? Well, you know, there we go. It's, uh, it's moving quickly. All right, uh, let me just, to your handout here, uh, Spurgeon here. I want to I help us here where I'm going here the next, uh, just as we close here. I want to look at five symptoms of the self-righteous heart. I had to narrow that down to five because at one point I had like 17. So I'm kind of grouping a lot together here. Uh, but, oh, let me go back actually to, to, to Luther. Uh, many of you know Martin Luther. He talks about here how we need a righteousness, right? There has to be, like, we need to be righteous before a holy God because God does not lower his standards. How is it possible that sinners like us can somehow be righteous before a holy God? Luther spent a lot of time Thinking about that, that was it kept him up late at night for years, and you can read some of that. Uh, and he said, look, this righteousness has to be, as his term, an alien righteousness. In other words, it can't originate within me. It has to come from outside of me. It has to come from someone better than me. It has to come from someone perfect. It has to come from the Lamb of God. It has to come from God himself, an alien righteousness outside of myself, and that's the beauty of the gospel. That's what we have in Christ. This righteousness given to us, imputed is the word, to us upon faith. Imputed, outside of ourselves. Uh, and and that's, 
That's what we're banking our lives on. An alien righteousness that becomes ours as a gift of God's grace to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, Beloved, the legalist in us is a great deal older than the Christian. If I were a legalist today, I should be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian. We are all born legalists. So we're all born legalists, but then we're made into the self-righteous. So we're, we're made into what you might call the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? They were self-righteous, yeah. Were they religious people? Was there anybody more religious than the Pharisees? And who were the greatest enemies of Jesus in the Gospels? It was those people. Yeah, I mean, Jesus came to, to save people who, who recognized their great need for him, right? So that's why, remember, we've looked at this in, in the Gospel of Mark. Like, who are the people that are attracted to Jesus? Who are the people that are coming to Jesus? Just brainstorms. Sinners. And let's just describe sinners a little bit more. Mark does. You're right, John. Yeah. Who, who are those sinners? you remember any of those sinners in Mark that responded to Jesus? Prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, drunkards. Remember cultural Christians? Yeah. Pious Jews. I mean, yeah. Like the people who understand that they needed him. So again, the problem with the, the self-righteous, the problem with the Pharisees is not just they that they believed in a, a gospel of works. The real problem is underneath that. The greed, the fear, the pride that, that underlies. That, that's what's working underneath of that works-based confidence. And that's true in our lives, too. Whatever it is, the fear, the, pre, the, the pride, the greed, whatever sin that you struggle with there, that's eventually, if left alone, it's going to sever the, the heart from the head. And, and we want to guard against that. So, Again, here's what we're saying here. Uh, I want to look here. If we're serious then about grace, which we are, and if we're, we really want to be true slaves to righteousness, we need to be aware of the symptoms of gracelessness. Here's probably the best definition for a legalist, and I'm using that term broadly. But, but the self-righteous person, really, we're born resisting the idea of grace because grace says awful things about us. Grace says we, we are worse off than we thought. We're dead in our sins. We're actually rebelling against a holy God. That's what, that's what grace says. So grace says some awful things to us. Um, but So legalism then, this idea that if I just keep the law, if I just do more spiritually good things, that God will accept me at its root, that's really a failure to be awed and amazed by God's grace. That's what's, that's what's going on at the heart level. It's just a failure to really be amazed at grace. I don't want any of us here to ever walk, and the truth is we do sometimes. It's boring, ho-hum, I know I'm a sinner, I know I need Jesus. Why, why do we preach the gospel every Sunday here? Why do we sing songs about the gospel every Sunday here? Why is that so important? Why are we intentional about that? Because we forget, and because we neglect, and because we ignore, and because we need those reminders of God's grace. We don't want to ever have our hearts in a in a situation where, where, where God's amazing, supernatural, divine grace becomes boring and ho-hum. So this is, this is part of it here. So let me just kind of close with this. Five symptoms of the self-righteous heart. And, and really, when I think about the self-righteous, and we're, we're talking, I think these things could be said of the cultural Christian. Again, maybe not all, but, but I think there's, there's something going on here enough the self-righteous know what to say, but do not do what they say. So I think, Drew, this was 
maybe to your point. So there's there's some lip service, but they don't really follow that out. Now let's just be clear here. We are all sinners. There will always be some dissonance here for all of us, right? We say things and are, are we always 100% faithful to carry that through? Of course not. So we have maybe more in common with cultural Christians and the self-righteous than we would think. That's First uh, John 1, eight. So we are always repenting then, this side of glory. But I think what we're looking at here is, is kind of a, a more consistent, or what I would say, just a reoccurring pattern. That's kind of what we're looking for here, it's patterns. In, yeah, the practical, giving, serving, spending, how do you relate to your spouse, children, loving neighbors, indulging in secret sin, like any of that. Are you making excuses, in other words, for the sins that entangle you? Typically, the self-righteous is probably happy to point sin out in others, but they'll be the last person to see it in themselves. And that's Matthew 23. Jesus says they preach, they don't practice, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Okay, so the self-righteous know what to say, oftentimes don't do what they say, and that is true for us too. Number two, self-righteous practice their faith to be seen by others. Again, when we're talking about the Pharisees, Jesus took dead aim at this. Matthew chapter 6, again, Sermon on the Mount, right? Pharisees are praying, why? Yeah, they're seen by others. Others look and say, wow, that guy is, like, is that guy, is he still alive? Because he's been on his knee praying for hours. Like, that is incredible. Uh, Pharisees uh, put money in the offering, why? To be seen and to hear the money clank in there and for everyone to say, wow, that's a lot of money going in there. That, that is a godly person, right? To be seen by others. Matthew 6, 2, Matthew 6, 5. Uh, and, and basically they got what they wanted, right? Which was recognition and esteem from others. Jesus says, beware, Matthew 6, verse 1, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So here's the question. Is your Christian life or is your Christianity at root? I mean, again, at the heart level. Is it really aiming for acceptance from others? Their approval, their affirmation, another way of saying that. Are you a Christian mainly because of the benefits that it gives you? The social benefits, the relational benefits. I mean, that's kind of the question, right? Are, are you mainly a Christian because of that? Or do you pray? Do you give? Do you serve? Do you do these things? Why? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for the glory of God. Again, th those are two different paths, really two different paths. So self-righteous, again, practice their faith to be seen by others. Here's the third symptom of a, of a graceless heart. Self, And this, this one, I think, is particularly... Well, it's particularly damning. The self-righteous keep people from Jesus and his grace. Yeah, I can. The self-righteous keep people from Jesus and his grace. They don't attract people to Jesus. They actually keep them from him and his grace. This is Matthew 23. Jesus has some very hard indictments in that chapter, talking about the self-righteous and the Pharisees. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Like, you don't want that to be written about you. You shut the kingdom of heaven. 
in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, again, self-righteous hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So, brothers and sisters, one of the greatest dangers, I think, of, of a works-based, like we're talking about here, a self-righteousness, a works-based religion, I think one of the greatest practical dangers is that it's contagious. It, it really is. It's contagious. And so when we disconnect our heart from our head, that's really what's going on here, right? Subtly or not so subtly putting confidence in the flesh, we're going to lead people away from Christ. Not to him. And we want to lead people to Christ. And so the, the question then for all of us, I think, is, uh, how would I phrase this? Um, so the, the, the people that know you best, family member, friends, your home group, yeah, church people, people that you know, are, are the people around you uh, amazed by God's grace given for you? In other words, like when they talk with you and they interact with you, you know, in those kind of practical conversations, do they leave thinking, wow, that's someone who's been really that's someone who, who knows a thing or two about God's grace. Like, you, you just enlarge my vision of who God is. Now, I hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying like every conversation, like you're disciplining your kids or, you know, you're running after you. I'm not saying every conversation, like let's keep our feet on the ground here. But like as a pattern over time, do the people that know you best, would they think, yeah, that's, that's someone who really does understand the grace of God. That, and that makes me want to know that God. Or... Do we kind of repel people and say, man, if that's your version of Christianity, I want nothing like that. Because you don't seem to smile ever. There's not a lot of joy in you. Why are you always so stressed? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Number three, that's the self-righteous keep people from Jesus and his grace. Number four, the self-righteous lack love for people in need. I'm not going to take a ton of time here because our time is winding down. Uh, again, Matthew 23. I mean, again, the Pharisees, as an example, they actually looked for reasons not to help the poor, not to help those in need, not to help the oppressed. And they looked down on Jesus because he did exactly that. He spent time with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people who were untouchable and unclean and people that, like, why are you, you're not supposed to talk to them. Um, we'll hear more about that in just a minute, too. So, the, again, the self-righteous really find every way to get around at root of, of really caring for other people. And certainly that's, well, that's just anti-gospel. It's really anti-Jesus. And number five, the self-righteous cover sin instead of repenting, instead of really confessing. And that look, I think this hits all of us here. It, it really should land on all of us because oftentimes we think, well, did I really repent? Did I, am I really confessing? Praise God that he is so good and kind and gracious that, um, I mean, he sees our hearts. Can you just imagine, like, many of you have been Christians for many, many years, as I have. Like, if, if, you, if you actually had, like, if the only way that you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you were forgiven of your sins is that you had to pray that prayer of repentance for every last sin that you ever committed. Wow. I mean, some of you are in some bad shape. <laughs> We're all in deep waters then. But God is so good and kind and gracious that, I mean, there are, 
We're only going to know the other side of eternity when we look back and say, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think that was a sin. I didn't even know that. Or, yeah, I knew that and I was still rebellious and I just didn't want to do that. And I never really did. But somehow, how did I get in heaven? Because God is so good and kind and gracious to us. Now, again, that's no excuse for not repenting, but there is a reality here. I think, again, as a pattern here, the self-righteous, again, would much rather manage sin than repent of it. Okay? And again, this is a clarion call for us to take our sins seriously. So again, all that to say, brothers and sisters, if we if we uh, have a disconnect here between our head and our heart, between what we say or who we say we love and actually how we live, what do we do? Well, in one sense, it's like, well, you should take more classes. You should come to home group. You should, well, yeah, the, the Lord works in those things. Or, you know, Google this afternoon how to restore a relationship with Jesus. I mean, you don't have to do that. But knowledge is vital, but that actually that's not the key to reviving our hearts. God is the key to reviving our hearts. So in humility, it's, it's called humility. You humble our, we humble ourselves, and we, we say, Lord, you see where I'm at. You see my great need. I've been living with blinders on. I don't want to live with blinders on. Have mercy. And then you wait on him. When I say wait on him, I'm not talking for the next like seven years. You don't do anything. But you wait on him in that moment to listen to what he has to say. He'll speak. And it may just be longer than just a minute or two. You might have to give it five minutes, maybe ten minutes. You might have to circle back the next day. You might have to bring others to pray with and for you too and to say, look, I'm kind of in a tough spot here. We just pray that God would just illuminate, give me eyes to see who I am, who he is. I mean, those are the sorts of prayers, brothers and sisters, that, I mean, yeah. Man, I don't know why that hits me so hard. Probably because those are the prayers that I'm praying. But those are the prayers that, you know, the Lord, the Lord loves to answer. And he really does. Come at him with, with that kind of bold humility. And then just Wait. Let him do his work in your life. Okay, I'm going to close in prayer. If you do have further questions, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, session three next week. Uh, what's session three, Kelly? I forget. I think it's. Uh, I think it's actually legal. I think it's morality. Next. No, I think it's next week. Next week, Dave's going to look at uh, the moral person. So I mean, again, the self, the the, the cultural Christian. Um, as putting a lot of stock and a barrier to really come to Christ of uh, morality. So, uh, hope we can come back next week. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your kind grace to us this morning. God, thanks to these dear, sweet people here. Lord, we confess first that when we hear something like this, we want to pay attention to our own hearts and how you're moving in our hearts. And so I pray, Lord, that you would continue to move and work in our hearts, that you would help us to see clearly the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then with that, to see ourselves more clearly, more accurately, even this day and this week. And Lord, I pray that that would have an impact in how we love our spouse, how patient we are with our kids, the kind of relationships and friendships that we engage in, how we treat our enemies, those that frustrate us. God, I pray that that we would be a people as you mature us and grow us, that 
that all of what we're talking about here, Lord, that our relationship with you would, 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 would be more than simply duty or lip service or just having right answers. But God, that you would continue to change and transform our hearts at that deep level. And yes, produce in us, ultimately for your glory, good works. That our lives would speak well of the gospel and speak well of Jesus, you whom we love. So be pleased to do that, I pray. And we'll trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.